Let's turn in God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And then if you would also find John chapter 19. So we'll start Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. And then we'll also be reading Matthew, or John 19, starting at verse 28. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us in regards to that which we have just sung about. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then going over to John chapter 19, verse 28, we read the following. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As far the reading of God's word this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word. And as we study the the incredible sacrifice of Jesus, we just pray that uh, you would help us to love your word and to love your commandments. And we pray for Pastor Bob, too, as he brings this to us, that he may teach us from your word. And bless us, and bless him too as he brings this to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So in previous years, uh, throughout the ministry, we've looked in sermon series at the people who are gathered around the cross, the individuals who are there, the people that that are, are observed, if we could take a snapshot of that day in history. We've taken time to to look at the words that are spoken from Jesus, going a little bit more in depth with with each one of those phrases and statements, those seven things that are spoken from the cross. This year, as we focus on, on the death of our Lord and Savior, we're looking at items. What do we see at the cross? What What material things are there through which God is speaking to us in his word as well? Because he includes them in his word. We're not inventing things. We're not supposing these things were there. God is telling us that they were there. One of the things we saw a few weeks ago was the crown of thorns that was placed upon the head of Jesus. A reminder not only of the mockery, but of the fact that, yes, he is there wearing sin 
even upon his head. Last week, we looked at the cross itself. That object is certainly there. That item is there. As it's carried by Jesus and then by Simon of Cyrene to its location on Golgotha and then that which takes place. But certainly the powerful message of judgment that God is bringing up through that picture, through that item of the cross, but also our great deliverance and that which of we boast. This morning, I want us to look at a couple of sponges that are there. We're not told exactly what they look like, what they were shaped like. We could research in history and maybe have some idea of what they were. But that is not the point. The point is that there were two sponges that were there. And so we, we simply this morning want to look at those two items. Two separate sponges that occur at two separate times during this time of crucifixion on the cross. The gospel accounts, uh, we we read them not just in one, but each one is is given several locations, except the, the second one seems to be one that is more specific to John's gospel. So the first sponge, that which we had in Matthew chapter 27, let's look at that again. Verse 34, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among him by casting lots. We can look at this by asking a few questions. One, what exactly is this? What are they offering Jesus? Well, we're told it's some sort of wine, but it's mixed with something. Matthew tells us it's mixed with something called gall. If we go to Mark's gospel, Mark defines it a little more clearly, and he says it's mixed with myrrh. It's actually some sort of poison that they're concocting. They're mixing these two things together, some sort of vinegarish wine with this concoction that we would probably today would say it's sort of like an anesthesia. It's a narcotic. It's a means of numbing. It's a means of, of taking away some of the pain sensations that the one who is going to be crucified was going to experience. So if we just think about it just there, we don't have to go too deep into that and, and just think that that's what they're offering him. And it's offered, you'll note, just before the crucifixion. Matthew takes note of that. Because the wine mixed with gall is offered, then they crucified him. So as the the victim is laying upon the cross, Jesus in this particular instance, before the soldiers who are uh, the squad that is to crucify him, the actual act of nailing him to the cross, this is offered. This is offered. just prior to this horrendous experience, that which we just sang about, stricken, smitten, to be numbed of the physical pain, to be numbed of some of the emotional trauma, to be numbed perhaps to the spiritual consequences that he is about to endure. This is what is offered to Jesus, a narcotic. 
something to take the edge off, something to lessen some of the pain sensations. The question is, who offered it, though? Who offered Jesus this this mixture? The question is, would the Romans do this? Would, Would Roman soldiers take this act of kindness... Would it appear even logical for us to stop and to think, oh yes, before they start pounding nails into wrists and into feet, to hold a victim, to have them hang there for hours upon end as they slowly die, they would take a few moments to do an act of kindness of numbing the patient doesn't really seem to fit, not considering that which built up to this, that which they have done already to Jesus, the flogging he has been through, the crown of thorns, the beatings he has suffered. Why would, why would they suddenly have a heart of compassion? So it most likely is not the Roman soldiers. Who then is it? Well, when we go back into history, the they, right? See verse 34, they... They offered him wine to drink. The they, remember remember when he's on the road and there's these daughters of Jerusalem who are weeping, these professional mourners who line the streets and as Jesus passes them, they're weeping, oh, they're crying over this crucifixion. And Jesus stops and he says, stop weeping for me. Weep for yourselves. Well, from what we know about from historical background, these women were allowed to accompany the victims to Golgotha, and they are the ones who would offer to the victim, Jesus in this particular instance, and the two thieves. They did this for everyone who was about to be crucified. They offer them this mixture. It's not the Romans doing it. But it's these daughters of Jerusalem, these women who accompany these crucifixions. They're the ones who are allowed to do this. They're the ones that that Rome, for whatever reason or other, gave permission for them to do so. Now, if you read about this account in Luke, it seems like that after this happens, the Roman soldiers engaged in a little bit more taunting, that they perhaps also engage in, sure you don't want it, Jesus? Sure, come on, come on, maybe you better take this. But it's not in the sense of offering compassion. It was more in the sense of torment. Here, as Matthew reports it, in this first instance of this wine mixed with myrrh, it is these daughters of Jerusalem seeking to have some compassion Upon the victim. But that which stands out is not so much the mixture or even who or when. It's the fact that in verse 34 we read, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So it comes to his lips. He recognizes what it is. He recognizes that this is not just sour wine. This is not just a vinegar There is something else in it. There is an additive there. And so he refuses it. No, I don't want this. 
Now, the question is, why does he not take this? Let me offer you three reasons. One, because he is aware of prophecy. He is aware at this moment, as as he's being put upon that cross, as he knows in a few moments the nails are going to begin penetrating through his skin. In a few moments he is going to be lifted up. And the pain of that nailing is going to become small in comparison to the weight now pressed upon those nails. He is aware of that which still has to happen. He is still focused on doing the Father's will. He is still focused on being obedient to all that these hours entailed. We might think, well, isn't once he crucified and put up on the cross and so on, isn't the work done? My friends, there is so much work to be left to be done in these three hours of time. In this time period, excuse me, the six hours of time. It's incredible what Jesus is still aware needs to be done, needs to be said, needs to happen. In particular, there are people still to love. In the midst of this stricken, smitten, afflicted, I don't want to be numb. I I don't want my mind to not be fully functioning. I don't want my body not to be fully functioning. So, Because there are people I need to love. People who need to be loved fully, completely. Hear him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not just words expressed, not just a meaningless, trite phrase, but words that come out of the depth of his soul. Father, forgive them. Words to a thief. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Words to a mother, woman, behold your son. Words to John, behold your mother. Words to the Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Words full of such great love that if he were drugged, If he were out, if he were unaware. Some of you have gone through procedures lately, you know, colonoscopies, endoscopies, where they just give you that that little light numbing now, that, that light anesthesia, right? It's not the deep stuff they used to do. It's just the light stuff. And yet when you come out of it, you're like, okay, what happened? What happened? Where are we? What's going on? Tell me all about it. And uh, Sandy says that when I have these things, I ask her the same question like 20 times on the ride home because I can't remember anything that happened or what the doctor said. And I can never figure out how I'm in the car, even though I've drank juice and had cookies. Jesus wants none of that. Why? Because he needs to pour out love. From that cross. 
But there is a third reason. It is to fully bear the weight of sin. There is no such thing, my friends, as cheap grace. Do you hear the line in the song? If ever we should consider the penalty and the weight and the seriousness of sin, it's on the cross. Why? Because Jesus didn't make it cheap. Jesus didn't take the easy way. He didn't take the wine vinegar mixed with myrrh, mixed with gall. I'm going to fully experience the weight of this sin. No cheap. No off to the side. Every sin that you have committed, Jesus is on that cross bearing the full weight of it. So when you and I now, as believers, contemplate, think about this sin. Oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not that significant. It's not that huge. Ah, it's okay. God, God will look past this one. I've got good reasons why I'm... You just remember this cross. And you remember when they put that sponge up to Jesus' lips to make your sin cheap. He said, no, no. The full weight, the full wrath of God, the full extent of hell's agony. I'm going to experience it. No, no. He refused it in order that he might suffer, in order that you and I might know He has fully paid for all my sin. Cheapen it a bit. Didn't go around it. Didn't skirt around one single sin. He fully bore upon the cross God's wrath. Let's go to John chapter 19. The second Sponge. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The second sponge. What is it? It's cheap wine. It's vinegar basically. Almost as if it were non-alcoholic, if we want to go down that route, but it's cheap stuff. It's actually that which Roman soldiers were given. It's it's what they were allowed to carry. It's it's sort of a, a water of the day. Okay, so if we think about all of us trudging around with our little water bottles now, you know, 
20 years ago, none of us had a water bottle. None of us carried a water bottle anywhere. Now we can't go anywhere without a water bottle, right? We, we can't go an hour and 10-minute church service without water. Got to have water, right? Think about it that way. That, that's what this sour wine is. Most likely, from what we gather from written history, it appears that these soldiers would take this along with them and set it at the foot of a cross or behind the cross, okay? because they're going to sit there all day until this victim dies. They're going to be sitting out in the hot sun as well, waiting on duty for this guy to die, this victim on this cross. And so they got to have something for them to drink during this time. Well, they take along their, their water bottle, their sour wine, their vinegar, as it were. This is what is offered. No narcotic now. This is not the narcotic. That was first. This is something else. This is something different that is now offered. And it appears as we read the account, this is offered after the three hours of darkness, after the cry of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In fact, as we look at it in 28 through 30, it would appear this is just prior to Jesus' death. This is just the event that happens before he dies. So we had one at the very beginning. So we know we're at two different occasions. We know we're dealing with two different circumstances. One in which he refused, but here he accepts. One was a narcotic. This is simply vinegar, sour wine. One was most likely offered by his own countrymen, the daughters of Jerusalem. This is a Roman soldier. Just before his death. Right around 3 p.m. The enduring of hell has just been experienced. And once again, to clarify, when we recite in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. That's what's happening from 12 to 3 p.m. on this day of crucifixion. He's experiencing hell on the cross. The eternity of hell for you the fullness of hell experienced upon that cross that's what he's just gone through the darkness but now the sun begins to emerge light has returned after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished said Look at this. He's almost there. He's almost at the end of this agony, end of this journey. And yet, with clear mind, with focus, he says, I thirst. Why does Jesus accept this, but not the other? Once again, three reasons. One, it's not a narcotic. 
Psalm 69 verse 21 tells us about this. Psalm 69 is an experience of David in the wilderness in which he, he is desiring thirst and, and or he's desiring water because of thirst. He talks about his tongue and his mouth being dried like a pot shirt. And that word kind of struck me and I kind of wondered, what, what do they mean by a pot shirt? Well, when you kiln dry a pot, sometimes there are pieces of that pot that break off. They're the pieces, well, let's put it this way. When you, when you bake the, uh, the pizza in the oven and sometimes the stuff, the crust falls to the bottom of the oven, okay, in pottery... That little piece in the bottom of the oven is a potsherd. Okay? So those little crumbs down there that, that are just as black as black can be, they're as dried as dried can be, that's the potsherd. The psalmist David was expressing in the wilderness, absent from what he felt was the presence of God, he experienced that the experience to him was like being one of those potsherds in the bottom of the kiln, baked and baked and baked and baked, because there aren't too many of us okay, who go out every time and clean out all those things, vacuum them out or whatever we do. We just leave them there, and what happens? They bake and bake and bake, and they crumble and crumble and crumble. That's what Jesus says he is fulfilling. I'm like a potsherd dried. Why does he accept? Well, this isn't a narcotic to cheapen what's happening. It's because he thirsts. Why does he thirst? Well, think of this. He's in a crucifixion. He's been hanging on this cross now up to six hours. He's been in the heat. He's been, oh, it's not just the heat of the sun. It's the heat of hell. Remember the parable about the rich man and Lazarus and the the rich man's request? Just just a fingertip. Just a fingertip. Right? The scene I walked into yesterday afternoon in visiting Harold is the scene that is repeated over and over and over again. As I walk in, they're taking... One of those little pink swabs, putting it in some water, just dabbing it on the lips. They took a sponge. You know what those people do often? Put it in their mouth. Okay, you're, you know, because it's you're only supposed to swab, right? You know, what what does the person lying in the bed do? <laughs> right? And then it's like. How do they have so much strength? I can't even get this thing out of their mouth. You literally got to pull and pull and pull sometimes to get it out because they want that moisture. I thirst. They put a sponge. Considering a crucifixion, considering the hellish agony, considering the terror that he has experienced, the heat of hell. They put a sponge to his mouth. It's not a narcotic And it's, I thirst. But as I read the passage, 
there is a reason why Jesus takes this sponge. It's not just, I thirst. He has something to say. There there are words that need still to come out. Before that last breath, before he yields his spirit, before he gives his life willingly to the Father. There is one thing Jesus yet needs to say. It is the words that you and I so desperately need to hear as sinners. It is the words that you and I need to hear As we think of our past, as we think of our guilt. It is the words we need to hear to live life in 2022 with all that is going on. It is the words that we need to hear to live today for His glory. It's the words we need to hear to die tomorrow for His glory. It is the words we need to hear when we take our little child to the cemetery. It's the words we need to hear when we take our parent, our grandparent to the cemetery. When we take our wife, when we take our husband It's the words we need to hear. Jesus says, I thirst. And they take a sponge and put it to his lips. And with that little moisture, he utters a cry that changes the world, that changes our lives, that changes eternity. When we read it in the other Gospels, all we hear is this. And he uttered a loud cry. And he died. John tells us what he said. It is finished! What grace. What love. What peace. What comfort, what assurance. And God's people say, Amen.